You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Let's pray. Gracious God, we bow before you in worship. For you alone, Lord, are worthy of our praise, our adoration, our love, and our worship. We thank you, Lord, for your word today, and we pray now that it is read and preached that your Holy Spirit would illumine it to our hearts and minds. We ask that you would open our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to hear and understand and to obey, in Jesus' name, amen. Man, you may be seated. Good morning. My name is Nan Clark. I am part of the pastoral care team here at Third Church, and we are right now in a series called Practicing the Good Life. And what we've been doing over the course of the last few weeks is questioning our assumptions about what the good life is and maybe is not. And we're learning that Jesus in God, or God in Jesus, offers us abundant life, what the Jewish people called shalom. And the translation of that really is life in all its fullness. So we're going to hear the scripture read today. Uh, It's, who's reading it? I forgot. Mark and Emily Davis, thank you, (laughs) senior moment. And um, as as we read, as you hear it read, just listen for the ways the psalmist describes God's speech. Okay. A lean from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also willful from also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of tr- great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Amen. Um, can you imagine a world without speech? Well, I have to be honest, I just spent a week with a four-year-old <laughs> who has an insatiable curiosity. And I could imagine a, uh, a day at least without speech. <laughs> why, why, why? <laughs> um, but seriously, Speech is an important part of what it means to be human. Um, imagine if we didn't have that. Um, how would we express our love, our joy, our fear, our sorrow, our hopes, our dreams? I think life would be a constant game of charades, but we wouldn't have the richness and the nuance that words give us in our relationships. God's people has, have always believed that God is a God who speaks. He's not like the idols of the other nations who have eyes that don't see or ears that don't hear or lips that don't speak. God is a God who speaks. And that shouldn't surprise us. In Genesis 1, after God creates the first human beings, what does he do? The first thing is to speak to them. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He tasks them with stewarding his good creation. Then later in Genesis 3, we see that he meets them in the garden in the cool of the evening. And I always like to imagine this scene of Adam and Eve coming to God. They've been working hard, fulfilling their purpose. But they've got lots of questions about, well, how do we do it? Why, do, why does it work this way? And so they bring those questions to God and um, share their discoveries with them. And God speaks with them, imparts wisdom, wisdom to them, and instructs them so that they can do their job well. Even after humans reject God's um, personal instruction in favor of their own flawed and limited understanding, God doesn't give up speaking, reaching out to redeem and restore the broken creation. Our psalm today shows us two ways that the ancient Israelites under, understood God's speech. First of all, God speaks to, to all people through the creation. What was the first line of the psalm? The heavens declare the glory of God. Every day, every week, every hour, every year. And how they speak is a paradox. They actually have no words, yet everyone can hear their voice. There are no language barriers to God's creation language. So if the heavenly created bodies are so radiant and purposeful and faithful in their tasks, how much more must their creator be? So then David turns from God's universal speech in creation to his particular speech, and he identifies the law as the locus of God's speech to his covenant people. Law is another word for Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, which is what David would have had when he was um, the king. It does have laws and commandments and precepts, 
but it is also full of stories that teach God's people about his ways and his purposes. So David is piling on words to stress the importance and the value of God's speech in Torah. It's perfect. It's trustworthy. It's right. It will not lead them astray. It's radiant as it lights their path. I think of um, friends of mine who've had cataracts removed, and they say, I can see, I can see clearly. That's what I think David is saying God's word is like. It's sure and righteous because it reflects God's own character, and it leads people in the ways of the good life, life of renewal, protection, wisdom, joy, confidence, and assurance. David says that God's speech in Torah is more precious than gold, the most valuable thing in his world, and sweeter than honey in the honeycomb, the most sweetest thing he could imagine. Now, I can think of two characters who were obsessed with gold and honey. The first one was Gollum in The Lord of the Rings. Remember how he was just obsessed with that golden ring? And the, the name of that ring, he called it, was Precious. <laughs> um, but what happened to Gollum because he gave everything up for this gold ring? He became a mere shadow of himself, not really even human anymore. And then I think of Winnie the Pooh, who's a pretty cheerful little guy. <laughs> but he was obsessed with honey. His thoughts, the thoughts of it seldom left his mind. He was constantly devising schemes and ruses to get more of it, sometimes with pretty disastrous consequences. I think what David's saying is nothing, no matter how precious or sweet, can give God's people what they need. It's only when they hear God's voice in the scriptures that they'll find the good life. So David writes about two ways of hearing God's voice, the first in creation and the second in the scriptures. Over time, the Jewish people added more books to the Torah, the first five books, until it became what we now call the Old Testament. But there is another way of hearing God's voice, and this way was one David would not have known about because it happened much later after his time. The writer of Hebrews in the first verse of the first chapter describes it this way. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. God himself spoke through Jesus. It was like God speaking in the Torah, but in a much fuller and more personal way. Jesus guided his listeners in the way of abundant life. The disciple John calls Jesus the Word made flesh. 
In his teachings and in his actions, we see and hear God. When many of Jesus' followers begin to desert him, Jesus turns to his disciples and says, do you want to leave too? And Peter replies to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Peter recognizes that Jesus is inviting them into a quality of life that no one and no thing can give them. Unfortunately, though, Jesus was only with his disciples for three years. And that means the only access that we have to his words is through the New Testament. The New Testament authors tell us what Jesus said and did, and then they often explain the significance of those things and what they mean for God's people. That doesn't mean we don't need the Old Testament, as many people have thought. The New Testament actually continues the story of the Old Testament, but with surprising twists and turns. We can't fully appreciate and understand who Jesus was and what he did and the impact of his words without understanding and knowing the Old Testament. And so, as believers, we continue to read, study, and pray the scriptures because we believe that in them we hear God's voice. I think an important question for us in the 21st century is how do we hear God's voice in the scriptures? Early in my Christian walk, I learned how important the scriptures are, but I have to admit, when I read them, I often felt like I was in a different world, and so I struggled to make sense of what I read. I'd go away confused and not understanding what was being said through the words of the, the scriptures. So what I'd like to do is just share a few things that I've learned about what the scriptures are and are not that have deepened my love for scripture and have helped me as I read and study it. So the first thing I'd like to do is just take a big step back and look at the shape of the Bible. Even though the Bible contains 66 individual books of varying length, scripture is first and foremost a story. For me, it's a captivating story. And as a story, it has all the literary <clears throat> excuse me, elements of any story that we might read or study. For example, it has a plot, and you'll hear regularly Corey referring to that plot, which is creation, fall, redemption, and new creation. It has themes that play out in, in various ways and repeating patterns. One of my favorite th themes of scripture is the presence of God. We see God present to his people in the garden, and then we see them alienated from God's presence. And then we see God's presence located in the tabernacle and the temple. And then after the destruction of the temple and the exile, we see God made flesh in Jesus, God dwelling with his people in, in Christ. 
And then we see after Jesus dies and is resurrected and goes to be with God, he sends the Holy Spirit. And we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and we become the dwelling place of God. As we meet here today, God is present with us through his Spirit. But there will come a day, as we sang about earlier, when God will dwell once again in with us in, in, our pres- in our presence, and that's in the new creation and the, um, the new heaven and the new earth that we see in the end pages of Revelation. So there's multiple themes that we can trace through this wonderful story. There's also conflict. Every good story needs conflict, and we got lots of it. <laughs> it starts in chapter 3 of Genesis, and it plays out in so many ways throughout the story, Um, many of them sad, uh, but that conflict we see is eventually and finally resolved in Jesus' own death and resurrection. There's a reason, I think, that the Bible has the shape of a story. It's because as human beings, we actually inhabit stories. We, are, we ask questions about ourselves and why we're here and how should we live. That, I think, is one of the main things that makes us different from the other creatures. Our family, our friends, our culture, our celebrities, and our politicians, all of them are telling us stories that shape our understanding of who we are and why we're here. I think the big question is, Whose stories will we listen to? I love this quote from Eugene Peterson about God's story. The stories in God's word offer us a place in the story, invite us to participate in something larger than ourselves and our own stories. They're an invitation to participate in God's ongoing story. And when we do, we realize it's about God and not about me. So when we read and study scripture, what we're actually doing is choosing not to listen to all those other stories and voices that clamor for our attention and our devotion, and we're choosing to listen to God's voice. So the Bible has a shape of a story, but it's not just another story. We believe it's the story, and that it's both a human and divine book. So we can see, actually, the marks of the divine author um, in many ways. The word we use, excuse me, the word we use to describe this divine authorship is Inspiration. Inspiration means that God guided by his spirit the very different writers and editors so that the books that they produced were the books that God intended his people to have. Think about it. God inspired over 30 different authors and multiple editors over the course of almost 2,000 years from different cultural and historical periods, communicating in multiple genres and styles, 
<clears throat> to tell one overarching comprehensive story. I'd say that's pretty amazing. And that's why the writer of Hebrews calls the scriptures a living word. The spirit both inspires and illuminates scripture so that we can hear God's voice in its pages. Scripture also bears the mark of its human authors. I love that God was willing to let humans communicate his story, but it also means there's a challenge for us. It was written in Hebrew and Greek, and most of us don't speak Hebrew and Greek. It often contains genres and styles with which we're not familiar. It reflects their ancient culture and worldview and the kinds of questions they were asking. So for instance, in Genesis, it's really answering questions that they were asking. Who are we and why are we here? We tend to come to it with questions, very different questions. How did he do it? <laughs> How did it happen? <laughs> and those are very different questions. And if we're not willing to step back and, and understand how they were answering, asking questions, we get into trouble. So we have to work hard to understand their ancient culture and the ways in which God's word spoke to them so that we can understand how it still is relevant for us in the 21st century. There's an author, Jen Wilkin, and she likens this work to that of an archeologist. In a sense, when we come to scripture, we're excavating the text so we can understand how it spoke to them. And there's lots of tools for doing this, but I think if we remember my grandson who has an insatiable curiosity, I think if we bring that curiosity to scripture, we will learn a lot. Um, we ask questions and um, interact with the text and uh, let it be a living um, word for us. So we do the hard and patient work of digging, and I think what we'll find is treasures that far exceed the gold and the honey and treasures that will help us practice the good life. So I, I sometimes wonder why God didn't just give us a bunch of doctrinal statements or a theological treatise or a list of rules to follow. Just get out and get the job done. <laughs> it might have been easier. Uh, I think it's because God is interested in having a relationship with us. When we read and study scripture, we're actually entering into a two-way conversation with God. We hear God's voice, and then we actually speak back to him. We speak in prayer, in praise, in thanksgiving, in intercession, in lament, and in obedience. That's what David is doing at the end of the psalm. God's word convicts him of sin, so he asks forgiveness. And he ends with a prayer that his speech might be as pleasing to God as God's speech is to him. <clears throat> so since scripture is inviting us into a conversation, 
I think it's helpful to approach scripture when we come to it with um, a few things in mind. First of all, we have to come with a willingness to allow for mystery. Uh, Scripture does not contain the answers to all the questions we would like to know. Uh, We don't understand everything. Moses wrote, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed to us belong uh, and to our children forever. Sorry, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow the words of this law. God's a big God. He's the creator. We are creature. He's given us enough, but not everything. We also come with a posture of humility. It wasn't long after I came to faith that I learned about the importance of God's word. We used to sing um, a chorus, (laughs) read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 and we go, grow, grow, grow. And and the message was, if you just read your Bible and pray every day, you're going to grow, grow, grow. And I guess that's true, but I used to read and read and read, and I didn't feel like I was growing, 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 because I thought that if I mastered it, um, I I would grow and I'd mature. But over time, I realized that the goal is not for me to master Scripture. It's for Scripture to master me. So listening to God's voice in the scriptures is an act of humility, an acknowledgement of my dependence on his wisdom for my life. And the last thing is prayer. I think as we read the scriptures, the scriptures are actually also reading us. It's like a mirror. And so we have to come to our reading and our study with prayer, asking God's spirit to open our hearts and minds to understand his word. So I think when we take scripture on its own terms, recognizing that it's one big story, uh, that it's God's word in human words, and we approach it with a sense of mystery and a posture of humility and with prayer, we too, like David, We'll hear God's voice as we listen and respond, and we'll find the wisdom and the power to practice the good life. So I'd just like to take a minute or two to talk about some practices that might help you um, as you, some of you have been reading and studying scripture for a long time and others may be new to it. So here's a few ideas. There are so many resources out there. And don't try and write these all down because Corey's going to send them out in his third or Thursday um, email. But one good program for reading through the scripture chronologically, and they actually do it in one year, is the Bible Recap uh, program. So you do the reading, and then you listen to an eight-minute podcast, and that podcast, and she's a wonderful um, speaker, and she actually highlights and summarizes the readings for you for that day, and always gives you what she calls a God shot. Um, It's where do we see God in this text? Because remember, it's about him, and him mostly. Um, 
let's see what else we got there. The Bible for Everyone series. These, these are great if you're more a book person. Um, the Matthew for Everyone's the beginning of the New Testament, and then there's for um, Genesis for Everyone, the Old Testament. There's many, many of these. Um, and they take a portion of scripture. They, obviously, they work. This one's going, goes, takes you right through Matthew. They take a portion and, of scripture. You read it, and then they have some commentary on it. But I, what I like about these is they're always mindful of the big story and where you are in that story. And they're also really helpful on understanding the cultural and historical perspectives of what you're reading. For kids... Gosh, here's my favorite, <laughs> the Jesus Story Bible book. And I would encourage you, if you're a new Christian and you are not familiar at all with the, the Bible, here's a good starting place. It doesn't have everything in it, obviously, but it'll give you a good sense of the bigger story of Scripture. And um, I think it's a wonderful tool, and it's a great for kids. Also, one of the staff members uh, mentioned God's Big Story on Apple Podcasts. Um, I think meditation is really important. I mean, we hear about meditation so much in our culture. And, um, but most of what meditation is, is an emptying of yourself. And I think Christian meditation is a filling of ourselves. We, we let the word of God dwell in us. And um, I think it's as we do uh, think about what we've read or what we're studying, we wrestle with it, we chew on it, and it gets into our being. So I think meditation is really important. It's, I think, often the way God's word transforms us. And then memorization, that's a great tool um, but I would encourage you, instead of just memorizing verses, because what can happen is we take them out of context, is to memorize a paragraph, be really bold and memorize a chapter, and then you get much more the sense of what's being said and, and how God's communicating with his people. So those are some individual things. Uh, corporately, coming to church every week, the scriptures permeate our worship service. They call us to worship. They often are the basis of our confession and assurance. Um, we hear them read and preached, and we sing them and pray them. That, that song with the response this morning, man, that was telling God's story. It was so beautiful. And you know the power of us affirming that um, adult Sunday school, children's Sunday school. This fall, we're going to have a dedicated Sunday school hour at 10 o'clock, which is great because whoever's preaching only has to do it twice. <laughs> but um, there'll be Sunday school for everyone. And two of the scripture classes that will be happening this fall is one Peter, the book of 1 Peter from the New Testament and the Minor Prophets, which are the last 12 books of the Old Testament. So um, try and get involved in that. Uh, another, there's lots of Bible studies. We also have parish groups, which are um, 
often focused, uh, many of the activities are focused around God's word and interacting with it. A lot of that information you can find online as the fall starts to ramp up. But um, God's word is so important. And it is the place where we hear, hear his voice. And we need to be faithful in reading and studying, in meditating on it, in memorizing. And as we do that, I really do think we grow and mature. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who speaks, that you desire to be in relationship and conversation with us. May we be people who love your word, who hunger to be in conversation with you. May we dig deeply and find treasures that far exceed fine gold and sweet honey. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who alone has the words of eternal life. Amen.